Hey there, welcome to the flight in Charlotte. <laughs> Let's try this again. Hey there, and welcome to the Flight and Scarlet show. I am Sarita Lopez from flightandscarlet.com, and today I'm going to get a bit vulnerable. So if you listen to the trailer episode, I said that I was going to talk about something different. I was going to talk about the I can't mindset. Now, I'm still going to talk about that, but I changed my plan because I thought that if we're going to be talking about the types of things that I mentioned in the last episode where we're getting really real, then I should probably be vulnerable with you um, so that we can really get to know each other and then it can just be more authentic. Um, and also, I have to re-record that episode about the I can't mindset because it's all messed up now. So there's that too. <laughs> anyway, so I wanted to dive into a few different points where I was at my worst, which is where the title comes from, the worst. So Point number one is my body, where I was the worst with my body. And I've always kind of been relatively confident about my body. When I was in school, one of my best friends was overweight and she hated herself for that. She really hated her body. And she hated to hear from me that I was upset about my body because I was too skinny, because she felt that I could never understand what it was like to be overweight because you just get targeted differently when you're overweight. And you know, at the time I didn't get it. Now I do because society does give privilege to people who are thin. But that doesn't mean that my insecurities were invalid. Um, because my insecurities one about uh, feeling too fat or whatever because I mean, that in itself is a problem because what's wrong with being fat? Nowadays, people are embracing that part of their identity. Um, but I still didn't like my body. And that just goes to show that like, no matter how much you weigh or what you look like, we all have insecurities about our body. Um, lately, I have been really inspired by Lizzo, um, who is a hip-hop artist Um and she is a large lady with lots of curves, and she loves her body. She has no insecurities about it, at least not publicly. And I'm just loving it. Um, I have always been relatively small until I, about like after university, I was always curvier on my bottom than my top. I've always been like a small boobed girl. Um, and then I've always struggled to find pants that fit me because of my butt. Now, if you look at my butt, which you can't right now, but I don't have a particularly large one, but I do find that nothing fits me right. So I used to get upset about that because the struggle would always be to get things past my thighs and around my stomach because of my hips. Um, I've never understood the mentality of does my butt look big because I don't get what's wrong with having a big butt. I recently kind of thought that maybe it has to do with the stereotype of black women and big butts. Maybe that's why white girls don't want to have big butts because it's like a racism thing. I don't know. That's a theory I have, but like, I never got that. So I was never insecure about my butt necessarily, but I was about my stomach and my arms becoming flabby because I wasn't working out as much after university, um, and losing strength. And that's where I started to hate my body. Um, my clothing wasn't fitting me anymore because I was getting weight. 
And what's interesting is years, a couple years previously, I'd had to buy all new clothes because I'd lost so much weight just from exercising so much, just naturally walking around campus a lot and like playing dodgeball because my university had a really competitive dodgeball league, which I'm telling you is not a joke. It wasn't like the silliest thing ever. It was super competitive and awesome. Um, but anyway, it got to the point where I, I didn't really dress very well at all. Like I, I would wear leggings literally every day, like the same pair of leggings. Like it was kind of gross. If you think about it, I did wash it like every week, but I was wearing the same pants every single day. I didn't buy new bras. Um, not that you should be constantly buying new bras, but I mean, like they were gross. (laughs) I wore the same clothes for like four years. And one day when I was teaching at a school that I had, where I'd gotten to know the students really well, because I had taught there one year, it was like a couple of years after that year of teaching. Um, I was teaching on call and this one girl was like, Miss Lopez, you look the same as when I met you. I was like, is that a bad thing? She's like, no, you just look the exact same. You wear the same clothes. And I like laughed it off. I didn't take it too seriously, but then I thought about it and I was like, you know, I haven't been taking pride in my body and my appearance. And I, I just realized that it's because I didn't like my body. I didn't know how to dress it. And I don't know, I I started to feel really upset with myself. So I decided to, um, purchase a, a course called style and styleability. Um, and I, I realized that this reflection of not caring what I looked like and just wearing whatever I could find in my closet um, was a reflection of how I cared for myself and how, what I felt about myself. And I realized I was very down on myself. I didn't, I just didn't like myself. I didn't like my life. I was slobby. Like I just, I didn't care. Like, and that was also around the time that my skin started freaking out. Like, I don't think I've ever been so insecure, um, except for this time. So what happened was, um, growing up, I've always had, um, oily skin. Um, but at this time it, it was around the time I was surprising my fiance with a trip to Banff for our anniversary, our anniversaries in March. And my skin was peeling, like just like, I can't, it was literally just peeling every day and it hurt, especially around my eyes. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I just kind of dealt with it. I hated it. I hated going to work and standing in front of a bunch of kids. And like, I mean, I'm an adult. I don't really care that much if if these kids are judging me because kids are just like that. But I still just felt so insecure. I didn't want to go out. I didn't like want to meet new people because I felt so ugly. I ended up going to the doctor and found that, that my skin cleanser was the same one that I've been using since high school. And it was apparently ruining my skin. So my, my doctor had me stop using anything. I literally just rinsed my face with water. I didn't even put moisturizer on like, that's it. And then I went back and my skin had gotten better. All the acne was gone and the peeling was healing. So I went and she recommended a brand for my really sensitive skin. Um, because even like, um, I used to use these like facial wipes that were made for sensitive skin to wipe makeup off because that was the year that I started wearing makeup. I've never worn makeup except for performances, like for acting and for dancing. I literally never wore makeup, but I felt so insecure about my skin that I started wearing it to cover what was going on in my face. So that's how I learned to wear makeup was literally because I hated my face so much, not as like an artistic expression. I just, I hated my face. Um, I was also in a show. I was in a theater production and I did not, I really did not like going to rehearsal and having my face look like that. So I would wear makeup. 
Um, and I used this sensitive skin wipe thing to take the makeup off at the end of the day, but that would make my skin peel and burn. So I took it to the doctor and I was like, Hey, this is making my skin burning. She was like, that is literally like so gentle. Like you've got a very serious sensitive skin problem going on. So I was like, okay, she sent me to a dermatologist. And so um, I was recommended to use only this particular brand of moisturizer and cleanser and literally nothing else. Like I didn't tone my face. I didn't wear facial. I didn't do any like skin masks or anything. Like I literally would just wake up, cleanse my face, moisturize it. And that's it. And then in the summer I would, um, or in the winter, I only moisturized. Like I didn't even, I would rinse my face with water, um, which in Edmonton, my skin was very dry and you know, the, the climate there is very dry as well. So it actually made more sense to do Vancouver. I, I cannot get away with not washing my face, but, um, I went to the dermatologist and he gave me a prescription for, um, it's a drug called tretinoin. It's like a gel that you put on your face and it helps to, um, he told me it reduces the size of my oil glands. So I don't sweat as much. And, um, it also helps exfoliate and make acne go away. But he left this part out. It purges your skin. So all of the stuff that was like in the deep layers of my skin came out in this like fresh, horrible um, acne all over my face. I've only ever, growing up in high school, um, I only had acne, had acne on my face, on my forehead. Um, but now I was getting it on my chin, on my cheeks, like by my eyebrows, like by my temples, like all over the place. And it was horrible. So I continued doing just the like the cleanse, moisturize, nothing else. And I kept wearing makeup because I just couldn't, I was so upset. Like, oh my goodness. Um, I've never been that, that insecure. And that was the time when I wasn't caring about my clothes. I, I just hated going anywhere. Like I just felt so ugly. And then over time, my skin adapted to this new drug. It cleared up. It was amazing. Um, and then about a year ago, I ran out of the tube. And so I stopped using it because I was like, oh, my skin's all better. It's fine. Um, and then a couple months later, everything came back. The peeling, the acne. It's like cystic acne. So it just stays under your skin. Even if it goes away, there's just a bump. Like you can't do anything about it. And so I went back to the doctor. I got a new prescription. And then I had the purging again. And this was just this past March. This time I knew what it was about. I knew it was only going to be a month. I hated it, but it, I knew it was just going to go away after a couple of months. So it took two months of this horrible acne, but I'd learned how to cover my makeup or cover my face with makeup that wouldn't hurt my skin too. Um, so what I'm trying to say is if you're at a point where you hate your body for whatever reason, I'm still like insecure about my body. I'm not strong. My arms are still flabby. I was really worried about my health for a while because my doctor started, um, there's diabetes in the history of my family. And so she was like, you need to start exercising, taking care of yourself. Um, but the problem with that was I had really bad anxiety and depression over the past year. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but, um, it was just a big problem. So if you've ever been in a spot where you hated your skin or your hair or your body or something about yourself, and you just don't even want to try anymore, and you don't know how you can possibly love yourself, I want you to know that I believe it gets better. You just have to find the right tools. And I believe that I can help. So the next worst part of my life has to do with love. So I grew up aware that I wasn't white and therefore wasn't attractive, which is 100% not true, but it's what I felt because I was surrounded by 
people who seem to value white people over people that were racialized, or they were people who were racialized who kind of behaved in the stereotypical white way, or they kind of disowned their non-whiteness. So they would straighten their hair, they wouldn't eat Indian food, or um, you know, they only hung out with people who behaved that way or whatever. So I never felt attractive. And then when I was in grade 10, I dated somebody who wouldn't admit that he was dating me, probably because I wasn't attractive to everybody else. Um, and it wasn't the, I mean, it was a high school relationship. It wasn't great. <laughs> but um, following that, I had like little short relationships with people who, you know, just didn't, they didn't take me seriously or they were manipulating me or something. And then I had in grade 12, that horrible, emotionally abusive relationship. Um, and I won't get into it too much, but this is the person who sexually assaulted me. And so after that, I was just a huge mess. I was in my first year of university and I had really, I'd really turned into the worst version of myself. I, I was dependent on that guy. I, I didn't care about like anything else. I was obsessed with this relationship and I, I literally begged him to stay with me. Like, I'm so embarrassed to admit that, but I mean, I was 17. I didn't know any better and I was a big mess and I fell into depression. Um, which now I realize it was depression at the time. I didn't, but like, I, I just didn't care about anything. I, my parents would get mad at me for behaving like nothing mattered. They would be like, Oh, it's such an annoying thing to be around you when you're like this. They were not understanding about it really. Um, but it, yeah, it took me a couple months to get over and Christmas was horrible that year because I was still feeling like strung along and stuff. And when I went back to university, I didn't really know what to do with myself. Cause I, I just had never, I'd never had the independence of my first year of university because I was just obsessed with going home to hang out with this guy because he was in Vancouver and I was in Edmonton. Um, but eventually I, I grew from it and I, I gained friends and whatnot. Um, and then I dated that summer, uh, somebody who I had known in high school. Um, and it was great. It was all right. <laughs> um, we're still friends. Um, but the breakup wasn't great at the end. Like it was mutual because we decided that, you know, we weren't going to be able to see each other, um, because he was going to school in a different city and there was just like some weird stuff happening at the end of that. And I was frustrated. And then I went back to school and I wanted to date somebody again and everybody was dating somebody and I wasn't. And again, it felt like, because I wasn't white. And I remember this conversation I had with somebody, uh, with two girls, two women. One of them is Mexican and the other one is white and is from Edmonton. Um, we were talking, we were doing a drama project together. So it was a performance. And when you do drama, you really delve into these issues, like your deep issues with each other. That's why when you do a show, you really bond with people. Um, we were talking and I was talking about some guy that I liked and he was white and I felt he didn't like me because I wasn't white. And the girl who was white just stared at me kind of in shock. She was like, what? And then the Mexican girl looked at me and was like, yeah, I totally get that. Like, yes. And we realized that like, this is something that we know, but somebody who's white has never even thought about. And she looked at me and goes, I know this guy. He would not think that way about you. Like if he thinks you're attractive, he thinks you're attractive. It would not be because you're not white that he doesn't like you. 
And she was like, I can't believe that that's a thing. And we had this whole conversation about it. And it was eye-opening for me to realize that, that maybe white people don't see it that way, but it's subconscious still. I was still very aware of it. Um, and I continued along that year. Uh, I asked somebody out and he didn't reciprocate, which was like, okay, whatever. I asked somebody out and I got stood up and I just felt like there was no one interested in me. And this is around the time when I started questioning my sexuality too, where I was interested in other people and not necessarily just men. Um, but I was in an environment where people would literally say, oh, you're a lesbian wannabe. Not to my face, but as a comment about people who are questioning their sexuality. And so I didn't open up about that. I didn't, I wasn't surrounded by queer women who were open-minded. So I just didn't do anything about it. Um, and so I spent that whole year feeling lonely and sad. And I just, I don't know, I just felt like nobody would ever love me, which is, it seems like such an exaggeration, but that's just what it felt like. I just, I felt unwanted. Um, and so I just kind of gave up. I was like, okay, fine. I'm just going to work on myself. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to spend time doing the things I love. So I jumped into a, um, a big musical. I auditioned for that. I got a part and I was really excited about it. I auditioned for a whole bunch of different things and I was performing like crazy, working out and getting involved in dodgeball and participating in, in my residence, like activities and stuff. And it was like, it was a great time. Um, and then it's around then that I met my fiance. He was in the same musical. It's a different story. I'm not going to go into the whole like how we met thing, but I kind of learned from that, that you really just need to be doing things that you love before you can meet somebody. And honestly, it's okay to feel like you're unattractive. It's a thing. And I know I'm not the only one who's felt that like that. And if you're somebody who's racialized and you feel like it's because you're not white, like, you know, it could be, that could be the truth, but that doesn't mean that you're ugly. It doesn't mean that you're, um, unworthy. So I just, why even focus your attention on people who might see you that way, to be honest. Um, so I found that participating in activities gave me a chance to meet people and I made friends who I'm still best friends with from that. And, um, I just think that if you're feeling lonely and like you never have a chance in love, there is hope. And again, I think that I can help. And the worst part, uh, number three of my life is my career. So this might be surprising to you because look, I'm running a business, Ooh la la. <laughs> but let me just run through all these horrible jobs that I've had. Okay. Uh, when I was in high school, I did every year I worked at a baseball stadium. And the first year I was fry girl. That was my name, fry girl, because my job was deep frying fries. That was literally all I did for like six hours at a time, all the time. <laughs> um, and my first year there was again, really horrible because it was very racist and people didn't admit it. And there was literally only one other person who understood. And, um, what it was, was everybody there was Jewish, which is kind of, you don't expect that kind of environment because you know that Jewish people have experienced racism. But everybody there was Jewish. And my cousin worked with me there and she is very mixed. She's also, um, half South Asian. Um, we're related through my mom who's South Asian. And, um, 
I don't know. She She's kind of white passing, I guess. She's very mixed. You can tell. But she was white passing at the time, I suppose. And so she got along with everybody and her friends got along with them. And I felt very out of place. And I knew I wasn't attracted because I was white. Uh, sorry, not white. And I knew I wasn't imagining it because there was somebody else I spoke to who felt the same. And I felt so ugly. And then the following year, I worked there again in the summer because it's just where I could get a job. And this guy who I thought was so attractive, like this is me when I was like 15. <laughs> so, so hormones were going a little bit nuts. <laughs> but this guy who I had fun talking to, like I honestly had a good time working there when um, I worked with the boys. It was the girls who I felt I didn't have a good time with. But I don't know. It was just the people there. And I think it was also the boys who were not white. So, um, But anyway, this guy, he told me one time, he said, you should wear makeup and you should straighten your hair. It'll make you look good or something, something along those lines. And I was like, I don't need makeup. I like the way I look and I like my hair, which was not true. I didn't like my hair, but I was like, wow, this guy's a fucking asshole. And I just lost all attraction to him. That's the thing with me. I can find you attractive, but the moment that you do anything that's arrogant or rude, I'm like done. Like I can't, I know people who can just be like, I don't care that you're an asshole. You're attractive. Let's have sex. And I'm, I can't like, that's just not how I work. Um, and, but I, I've never forgotten that. I was 15. That's over 10 years ago. And I, I will never forget that. Somebody that I was attracted to said that to me. And I was like, wow, like, okay, I guess I'm not attractive. Like, fantastic. Like, um, like I think it was like a month or two later, I ended up meeting that one guy, um, who I dated in grade 12. So, I mean, I try not to let it get to me, but it's hard to forget those kind of comments. Um, and then I worked at a massage place when I was in university, highlighting stuff. It was literally my job. I just went through papers and highlighted shit. It was horrible. Like I just hated my life. And I was like, I'm going to be finished university and I'm not going to have to do this stupid job. Um, and then I worked at a cafe sports center and there's this really weird conflict. There was harassment there. Um, just people who were not nice. They were just, I really hated working. <laughs> um, I worked at a call center once. Um, I think it was all right, but I wasn't passionate about it. I was asking people for money and I just, I don't feel good about doing that. Being like, hello, I've never met you before. Please donate money to this cause. Like it was like not, and it wasn't a cause I believed in. Um, and then I served downtown in Vancouver um, every summer where I experienced a lot of harassment, sexual harassment, sexism, and condescension. Um, I literally had somebody come up to me and say, uh, well, no, first they had been making horrible comments about women walking by like sexual comments. And, um, it was a man and another guy who was uncomfortable, but didn't know what to say, I think. So this, this guy who was making those comments came up to me and he was like, he said, you're a smart girl, Sarita. You know, I don't mean any of that. Right. And I was like fuming. I was losing my mind. And I just, I didn't like him. So I was like, whatever. And he's like, you don't like me, do you? And I was like, no, no, I don't. Like, it was just a horrible environment. Um, everybody has these terrible work environments. Um, I'm just taking you kind of through my story. And then I finally worked at a restaurant, a different restaurant in Vancouver, where the environment was good. I was still sexually harassed. There's nothing you can do about it. Like, that's just what the serving industry is like, unfortunately. Um, but I'm not, I can't do the whole flirt for tips thing unless it's somebody I find attractive. Like I just, I can't, I'm like, please respect me as a human being. So I got out of serving. Um, and I worked as a, an editor for my school paper, university paper. 
Um, and I worked as a leader on my floor and stuff like that. And that was all right. I enjoyed it, but it was the same problem where I knew I was doing way too much work. Uh, didn't, I didn't know if it was really worth it. And I knew that teaching wasn't right. Even then I knew, um, and then acting was a career that I wanted to pursue, but like even right now, I'm not in any show. So somebody, if I'm like, oh, I studied drama, I was an actor, I did all these shows, they're like, what are you working on now? And I'm like, nothing. Oh, have you seen you in anything? No, I'm not in film or TV. I do theater. Oh, well, what are you working on now? I am not working on anything right now. <laughs> the last show I did was two years ago. Oh, wonderful. Like I just feel like such a failure when it comes to acting. Um, and then teaching is what I've been doing the last few years over acting and I just don't like it. I literally struggled with going to bed because I knew the next day it meant I was going to get a call. I have to go to some random school because I was a teacher on call. And honestly, I think that's the lowest part was I was stuck in this career that I felt like I had to do because I studied for it. I knew my parents were going to be disappointed if I didn't want to do it. And I hated it. Like I just hated it. I love working with, with students and being, somebody who can make an impact, but I did not like not knowing where I was going. I didn't like being kind of, you know, teenagers are not nice necessarily. So I felt a lot of the time, like I was just being treated like crap. Like that's just kind of what it was. And I'm maybe not cut out for that type of work. I would like to feel valued. So I spent a couple years, like last school year and the year before that, just feeling miserable. I just hated it. I was depressed. I was like a high functioning depressed person. So nobody knew that I was depressed, really. I don't know if my best friends knew about it. Um, but once it started affecting me at work to the point where I wasn't working, because it's easy as a teacher on call just to take days off. I just took days off. I hardly worked. Um, I realized I needed to do something about it. And I was at the point where I just kind of wished I could die. And I've never admitted this before, but I never really considered ways. Like I, I imagined, like, it's like, I thought, oh, I could do this. I could do that. I never researched or anything like that. And I've lost, um, someone to suicide before. And I knew I could never really do it, but I just wanted it to end. And I felt like it was never ending. So I went to the doctor and I explained what was going on. And she was really good at it. She was very listening and like, it was like having like a second counselor kind of like she was very encouraging. So now I take anti-anxiety and anti-depression medication. I have, you know, done the whole eat better, sleep better, exercise more thing. I, um, try to surround myself with people. I've participated, I started, I've joined like a dodgeball league in Vancouver. I am going to be doing more things like that. Um, but I am now feeling so much better that I realize I don't like this career. I need to change it. And so now I'm starting a new job that is based online along the lines of my online business. And I'm moving away from teaching because I know it caused me so much misery. So if you are in that dark place, um, whether it's in your career or in some other way, I just want you to know that it, it can get better. Reach out for help. Um, if you are feeling like you are wanting to hurt yourself in some way, please reach out to a hotline. I'm in Canada. Um, so I'll put the hotline in the show notes and in the U S as well. Um, 
I have used BetterHelp before as uh, kind of an affordable counseling option. This is not a, well, I guess I could show you, give you the link to that. Um, I am affiliated with BetterHelp. So if you sign up, I do get um, a commission, but I'm not sharing it for that because I've used it myself. I used it during that time when um, about a year ago, I didn't know what to do with myself and I was miserable. I, I used it for that time to talk to someone because I couldn't afford counseling myself. So um, reach out for help and I do believe that I can help you as well. The next worst low part of my life was, well, is friendship um, and family. I have felt so lonely the last few years, ever since I graduated, which was 2015. So it's been quite a long time, and I think that's where the depression came from, just feeling very lonely. I do have friends, and I did have friends in, in Edmonton, um, but I, I didn't feel that connection with someone that I deeply needed. Um, I had my best friend, and she was my one person, but I didn't feel a sense of community. And I went through some things around 2014, 2015, where I felt like I had lost my family. Um, basically, uh, without getting too much into it to kind of respect their privacy, they're fine with me talking about it, but I don't want to be terrible about it. Um, they joined a, a new church that is, in my opinion, very extreme. Um, it took over their life. They basically spend hours upon hours there. And I came second. So family came second and I would come home for Christmas and spend two weeks basically alone. I'd come home in the summer and be alone and we'd fight all the time about it. And I just, I didn't know how to cope because I really felt like I lost my family because their values had changed, their personalities had changed. Um, and it clashed with what I grew up learning from them and what my values were and my personality, because my personality went with theirs, um, you know, they're my family. And so when I was at university during the last couple of years, um, I had to develop some more independence. I'm a pretty independent person, but I relied a lot on my family without realizing it until I lost them. And so I had to find my own family. So I made my best friends there and I loved them. And every time I came home, I would just treat it like I'm with my family. I love them, but I can't live here. So I'm going to remember that this is going to end and I'm going to go back to university and it's going to be fine. And I've had a good conversation with my mom about these feelings. So, um, this isn't like I'm causing some drama just in case you're worrying about that. Um, but what happened was we graduated and I lost all my best friends because they all went off and did whatever they were doing in their life, which is amazing. And I'm proud of them, but I kind of felt a little less be left behind. So I didn't have that kind of core group anymore. And I got very lonely and um, that's part of, I guess, where the depression came from. Um, but what happened was my biggest root, I guess, in Edmonton was my fiance. And I didn't realize quite how much I relied on him because, you know, I like to see myself as independent. I'm an independent person. And so I, I didn't see myself as being reliant on anyone. But one year he had to go to a conference, um, while he was doing his master's. So he was gone for a week and I literally had a panic attack. I just lost it. I wasn't functioning. I literally just ate ice cream and watched TV, which is not a thing that I do when I'm, when I'm sad, I don't eat, um, which isn't a good thing, but that's how I react. So I knew something weird was going on because I was eating <laughs> and watching TV. I watched, um, the Mindy project. That was my show during that time. I watched literally all of it in that week. <laughs> um, well, almost all of it. And then I realized I needed help. So I went to get help. I went to counseling 
um, for my sexual assault. That was the big one. And, um, yeah. And then I moved here with my fiance, um, a year ago and we both felt really down because he'd never done a big move before. My big move was Vancouver to Edmonton. Um, but then moving from Edmonton to here was his first big move. And so he lost all of his friends and I gained my family and my friends, even though I didn't have very many of them here. So we were both very lonely and we had each other, but I don't know. I don't think it's healthy to just have each other in a relationship. And so I think that we, the first like six months of being here, we were pretty miserable. We didn't have a community. And so it wasn't until we found a dodgeball league and signed up that we met our new crew and we're great friends with them. And now, you know, a year later, we are more social. We go and hang out with people. Whereas before we literally like didn't do anything. We'd like stay home and we were always trying to save money. So we didn't have any chance to go out ever. Um, we were pretty miserable. And now we've gained new friends because we put ourselves out there. So if you're feeling lonely, um, maybe you've lost friends or you've had some serious drama where your friends like turned against you or something, um, know that it does get better and I believe that I can help you. My last worst part of my life has to do with money. So I have been very um, privileged in that I had a lot of support going through school. Um, my grandmother paid for my first year of university and my parents paid for um, a lot of it. Uh, my last year, they um, due to their new church and new beliefs and stuff, they didn't agree with me moving in with my fiance. Um, and so they would not support me financially that year. So I went and got a student loan. Um, and that was the loan I had. It was not a lot. It was like $8,000, but, um, so that's why I say I'm very, um, lucky in that way. However, I have been in situations where I was in debt. Um, I had to eat peanut butter sandwiches, um, peanut butter toast for breakfast. I, my snack in the evening would be some milk because I couldn't afford, um, dinner. <laughs> I would go hungry. Um, I have been in the spot where I tried not to use too much shampoo to make it last, where I would, um, just not eat because I knew that it would save money. Uh, I'm not proud of saying that. And I really hope my mom doesn't hear this because she doesn't really know much about that, but, um, that's been there. Sorry, mom, but don't worry. That's not happening anymore. Um, basically what it was was in university, my parents helped me with a lot, but, um, I'd have to work in the summer to make enough to, sur to survive with food. Um, you know, going out, paying for textbooks, uh, that kind of thing. And a lot of the time I didn't quite make enough. That's because I didn't know how to budget at the time either. Um, but like I did it all on my own and I survived. And I really think that going through that kind of thing really helps you to understand the value of money because now I don't take having any money for granted. I'm very smart with my money. Um, 
And now I am better off, but again, like it's not like I make tons and tons of money. I'm still having to be very smart, especially because we're getting married, which is very exciting. And we're, you know, really lucky to even be able to do that and conceive that notion of like a big party wedding um, instead of, you know, having to just go to the courthouse, um, which, you know, lots of people want to do. It's just not what we want to do, but it might be a necessity in some situations and it's not for us. So um, I've been in the spot where right after university, I had a student loan and I knew I had to pay it off, but my fiance was um, not working at the time. I was the only one working and I was lucky to have gotten a full-time job right at the university, like literally like, like two days after I graduated. Um, as in the last day of my exams, I didn't, I actually graduated. I had my ceremony, um, a month and a half into my first job. So I was working in May and my graduation was in June. So I was really lucky. Um, and then I made enough money to, you know, make a big down payment on my loan. But then after that, I literally put every dollar that I made to the minimum to survive and the maximum to pay off my loan. So I was living on literally like $1,600 a month, which, um, was not a lot. It, I hardly had any money for like going out or anything. So I just didn't, I would, we'd host board game nights or movie nights, um, potlucks. I would go for walks with my friend instead of going for a coffee. I, you know, I did literally everything and, um, I might've come off as cheap during that time, but that was how I had to live. Um, if I wanted to pay off my loan and excuse me, I burped again. <laughs> this is a signature move. Every episode I've got to burp at least once. <laughs> um, and so that's how we lived. And then once my fiance got a job, um, things improved and we were able to save some money, but I've honestly gone back and forth between like having money and not having money because working as a teacher on call means I don't work in the summer. Um, it's very hard to find a job to only work during the summer, which is why now I've got a job that I've got for the summer. Um, which is not even for the summer. It's like in two weeks. So starting in August, mid August, I'm going to keep it and then work part time as a teacher. Um, so, oops, sorry. So that I don't have to worry about that anymore. But basically what would happen is I'd go through seasons of having lots of money and then not having much and having to be kind of broke. Um, but I've always learned to live, uh, smart with my money that way. So I've learned to, um, create an emergency fund, uh, I've been able to save for retirement and, um, you know, uh, things have improved since those days. Like it's really sort of wild to think about the fact that I used to like drink milk for dinner. <laughs> I, like, I can't believe that that's where I was. And now I don't have to worry about that anymore. Like I can make good food and I, I have a lot of dietary restrictions now. So I, I actually have to eat much healthier than I used to, which is a good thing, but it also does cost more money. And yet I don't have to worry about that. Like I can get, get by. Um, and so if you've ever been in a spot where you're like next to homeless, even, um, because you know, uh, I'm not going to get into that too much, but I have been in the spot where I didn't think I had somewhere to live. Um, I want you to know that don't give up and things will get better. And I, really think that I can help you. So, um, that's, I wanted to share my most vulnerable pieces, um, the worst parts of my life, because 
I want you to know that while I talk about my life now and, you know, how great things are, um, there's a story behind that to how I got to where I am. There's been lots of suffering, lots of misery, lots of um, hard stuff, but that's life and that's what helps us grow. I really believe that you, you know, the suffering that comes with life is what helps you become stronger. And I believe that everything terrible that's happened to me, including things like my sexual assault, um, my multiple sexual assaults have helped me become stronger and be a better person. Like I, I have lots of issues, you know, like everybody's got issues. I still go to counseling. I still take my antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. Like I've got all of these problems, but I, I really think that I am the happiest that I have been in a very long time. And, you know, needing medication for that doesn't need to be a bad thing. So, um, if you've ever felt like, you know, you hate your body or your skin or like you don't think anyone will love you or like your career is just miserable or you know you don't have any friends or you feel like deranged from your family or you are really having a rough time with your money situation like it does get better I hope that you feel welcome here in my virtual living room. I am not going to tell you what's in the next few episodes because I'm learning that as much as I like to plan, I don't always follow the plan. So the next episode is live. I don't know what it's about because while I'm recording it, I haven't decided. But go on and listen. Um, There will be following this next episode, episodes on how to meet people as adults, relationships, running a business, style, anxiety, confidence, and more. So keep on listening. If you have a question or a topic that you would love to hear, please let me know. Hit record and send me a voice memo asking a question or discussing a topic that you'd like me to dive into or email me at um, sarita at flightandscarlet.com or just hit the message button on my Instagram at flightandscarlet. Something I'm loving lately is the Any.do app. It's a free app that I have on my phone, and it's basically a to-do list app. And I'm like a super nerd when it comes to to-do lists. Um, I am definitely a type A personality. <laughs> I like my checklists. Um, but I've tried multiple ways to keep track of to-dos. I've used the Notes app. I've um, used Wonderlist. I've used like the reminders in like iPhones, <laughs> and I've never found one like this one. So. What I love about it is you can list to-dos and then you can give it a deadline and it will remind you on your phone. Um, But you can also every day go in and there's like a little moment thing. It's called moment. And basically it goes through all your to-do list items and then you can say whether you've done it, you're going to do it today, or you're going to put it off until tomorrow. So it's like going through your list for today and choosing only like three things. Um, and I love it. I love it also because you can have different checklists. So I have like a wedding one, a business one, and like a personal one. And then you can look at them all in one place or you can look at them separately. Um, and you can also color code, of course, which is my life. <laughs> um, and I also love that when you click it, it, it gets crossed off because that just makes me feel like I've done something, but it gets moved to the bottom. And so at the end of the day, you can be like, oh, look at these are all the things that I've done. Um, you can set recurring ones. 
Um, so for me, I have to remind myself to take my medication in the morning. So it reminds me every morning. Um, and you can share it. You can link it to Alexa. Um, and I'm just obsessed with it. So, um, go into your app store or Google play and download any dot do and thank me later. If you feel like you got something out of today's podcast, the quickest way you can say thank you is to hit the subscribe button and download any episodes available at this point. The downloads actually do help this podcast pop up for more new friends. And if you feel that this chat would help someone, I would be so grateful if while you're on your phone right now, you could give this podcast a quick review or share on your social media. It's really the most powerful way that you can help uh, new people and friends just by encouraging somebody to listen. I'll see you in the next episode.